Welcome to Bring on the Mess, a show where we have real conversations about how to embrace life's messiness and how we find ways to show up and uncover our true selves. I'm Beth Ann Dorman, the CEO at For All Seasons. And I'm Lisa Lee, the Chief Clinical Officer here at For All Seasons. We've been with you all now for over a year, and sometimes we have hard conversations and sometimes we have light conversations. And we always think it's a good idea when we're bringing in some harder topics to sort of say that at the beginning of the podcast. And today we're going to talk about one of those hard topics. So we're going to talk about something called self-harm. And the important thing for us right now is to define what that might be and to let you all know that maybe take a deep breath. And the hope is, is that you could take, as always with any of our podcasts, some information about whether it's you yourself who are doing some self-harm or if it's somebody that you know, some strategies that we can talk a little bit about. But to really settle in and maybe just dig into this hard conversation with us. Yeah, for sure. And certainly as we sort of touch on some of these topics, I think it's also really important for all of you to know that we're paying attention to the podcasts that are getting the most ratings and really trying to pay attention to you, our listening audience. And we know that when we dig into some of these topics that might not be something you dig into on your own, we know that there is a large interest. And so I think it's also important for us to say thank you for giving us that feedback by your listening ship. We're able to really understand sort of how the mental health piece of Bring on the Mess can sometimes surface. And sometimes there are conversations where it's us having a dialogue. And this is going to be more of some information. I was thinking about it this morning as I was driving in. If it was like a Dateline special, one of those opportunities where we're going to share out some information that maybe isn't known to the general public. And some of it might be new. Some of it might be something you already know. And some of it really hopefully might break some myths, those sort of myth busters about what we think versus what we know about the topic of self-harm. Yeah, and so I would like to just start off by saying I'm a licensed social worker and have been practicing for about 26 years, and my view on self-harm is much different than when I started Mm -hmm. because the information out there and the learning that I've done has certainly shaped the way that I see it. And initially, when I was working with clients, and I will say this, I have really the privilege of working with some amazing people who have taught me um, a great deal about self-harm and mental health in general. And then I've had the privilege, of course, of taking lots of trainings that have taught me even more. And so self-harm is an act of harming oneself. Mm-hmm. And that could be through cutting or burning or picking skin or pulling hair or purposefully breaking bones, which sounds pretty extreme. Mm-hmm. And it's a really challenging topic to kind of wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. For me, if you're not a clinician, I think that I'm so immersed in this community, it's so easy to talk about. I'm trying to be mindful of wow, people would do that to themselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I I think that's a really, really good point to lead with because sometimes it is so foreign to believe that someone would cut themselves or hurt themselves on purpose. So when 
topics like this come up, there there can be moments where there may be sort of a look away or such a disbelief that you can't wrap your head around it because for for some of us it would be something that we know and and it's a part of the world that we know to be the counseling world therapy what happens with our children for others there may be some of you listening saying i didn't even know this existed and so i think that's a really good important point yeah and so i would say one of the things or one takeaway would be is if you know somebody or if you yourself are experiencing self-injury, that is one of those cues that says, this is something that I need to go talk to somebody about. Because really talking to a girlfriend or a partner, in my experience, I have found that it's not necessarily successful. Unless your partner is a clinician, but even so, it's you want to have yeah. a different yeah. perspective from somebody else who right. can really dig in. Yeah. And it's harder to do that when you know somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk a little bit about why, the why behind the self-harm and sort of dig into, should you come upon this? Should you hear about this? Let's talk about the understanding and the underlying of the why that's bigger than that person's just trying to hurt themselves. Yeah, and so when folks come into my office, in particular parents or other folks, it might be, well, they're doing it for attention. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing that I would say. In any time somebody is self-injuring, there is a reason behind it, and we want to understand the purpose of the behavior. And even if I'm doing, like, my air quotes, it's for attention, we want to dig in at least me i would want to understand what does that mean Mm -hmm. and so i'm going to try to drill down a little bit more what does that mean for attention because there might be an attention seeking component i suppose to it but let's understand is it this is how i know to engage somebody and do we need to teach somebody different skills in order to engage I will tell you that the majority of the time in my experience over the 26 years I've been practicing is that it's more likely um, that somebody's self-injuring to feel, to take away pain and distract, so to speak, or to self-punish. Okay, so I'm going to be like your Oprah interview now. Okay, all right, let's do it, let's do it. I'm on the other end of our podcast and I'm listening and I'm saying... So somebody is cutting to take away pain. So let's dig into what is it that happens when someone who uses a method of Mm self-harm, how how is someone's pain being taken away when they are cutting? That's a great question. So the emotional pain. So what I have found with a lot of people that I work with is they they haven't necessarily been taught the skills of how to manage their emotions. And so what happens is this hijacking or flooding of emotions and it sort of overtakes their system. And so whether whether it's I'm starting to feel this deep despair or combination of despair and anxiety coming up through my body, because it's also a body reaction. There's like these internal feelings and sometimes energy inside. And that combination is too much. And so in order to make that go away, I'm gonna self injure. I'm gonna somehow create a different kind of pain, if you will, mm-hmm. 
to take away this overwhelming sense of pain that I'm experiencing internally and through my body. And interestingly enough, there is research out there that talks about when we self-injure, there is an analgesic effect. Can you spell that word? No, I... Analgesic. Which, you know, <laughs> Bethany calls me out on that because I'm the world's worst speller, of course, and probably pronouncer of things. But um, these are these fun words that you don't get to hear very often. But. Yeah, and so there's this effect that sort of numbs the system. Mm -hmm. And so a, a lot of folks that I've worked with, not everybody, so I want to be very clear, this is different for everybody, but some folks that I've worked with have said that they don't even necessarily feel the cuts, but it is a way to distract from the internal pain or a way to take away the internal pain. And sometimes folks have talked about this, this phenomenon called dissociation, which is what we all do. There is a spectrum of that. And so a lot of us maybe know, I used to describe it as I, I worked in a town that was about 20, 30 minutes away. And sometimes I would get home, I'm like, my goodness, how did I get here? Yeah. <laughs> and so they call it kind of like that highway hypnosis. And so that's sort of on the lower end of the spectrum of sort of checking out or tuning out or sort of a tunnel vision to the most extreme, which is you just shut off sort of the outer world. Right. So I remember when I was working as a full-time clinician on a college campus, and this was one of the areas that when students were self-injuring, I was the referral person. And I remember somebody saying to me, one of my clients at the time, that when she was super anxious and when she was feeling completely overwhelmed, it was almost as if the cut was like the release mm -hmm. of all of that anxiety and all of the feelings that she had and the physical nature of watching her skin open up almost was like a release she she used to describe it the movie pocahontas there's this scene where the leaves like blow around and she said you know that movie pocahontas it's kind of like that the leaves just all blow out of my body it's the anxiety and it's all of my stress releasing yeah yeah again there's so many different reasons and that's why it's important in my opinion that you find somebody skilled in order to work with somebody with self-injury because we don't want to re-traumatize somebody when we're exploring the purposes of self-injury and in my opinion you really need a, a skilled practitioner who's not going to be sort of squirmy around the issue right. or blame and shame around mm -hmm. the issue mm -hmm. that you have an understanding again of what purpose does this serve for you because then you can do the treatment around that and so yes I've heard exactly what you've said which some people might be thinking oh my gosh you want to see that you want to visualize that yes because for everybody it's different mm -hmm. and it serves the purpose for them right. and so my guess is that's how she relieved that was how she yeah that, that was her total outlet and so it's so interesting because then the most amazing thing clinically that we get to do is, at least for me, I see it as, oh, there's a part of her that is self-injuring. And what, what does that part need or what does that person need? And I start to then go into the skills development, right? And so if she's talking about what's so hard for me with anxiety, then we need to figure out how can we help that person build the skill of tolerating anxiety bit by bit. Mm -hmm. And I had this one amazing, I will say teacher, but clinician who did these trainings. And one of the things that she talked about is if you're on this large cruise ship and, or you see this large cruise ship and you're in the middle of the ocean 
and you only have those safety rings. I, there's like a what's the word? Like, uh, um, yeah, the, the life preserver. The life thing. preserver. Yes. Yeah. So you're in the middle of this large ocean, and you have this life preserver, and you see this big, huge ship come along, and the person says, "Hey, throw me your life preserver." And uh, then and then you can come on board. Like the analogy was, I'm in the middle of this ocean. You want me to give up the only thing that I know mm-hmm. in order to jump on this ship. And so a lot of times we need to think about people have been doing self-injury sometimes for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing they know in order to survive or to get through hard times. And so we want to figure out a way to replace mm-hmm. that coping skill or that that way of dealing with things with something a little bit different. And sometimes that takes time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good piece. So I'm going to go back to my Oprah interviewing now, because I think there's also a portion of this that can be going on for a really long time because self-harm can sometimes be hidden. Right. And so mm-hmm. it can sometimes be something we talk about mental illness, not being like a broken arm. There's no cast when you have a mental illness, but if someone is self-injuring, specifically cutting or burning or scratching, you might not see it. Well, I still appreciate what you're saying. So there's two things that I think about when you say that. The first is sometimes we focus on if we do see it, oh my gosh, there's self-injury. Because sometimes what's happening is people are self-injuring in areas that you can't see. So mm-hmm the upper thighs or areas of the body that are covered. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, that could be going on for a while and all of a sudden you see it. And sometimes there's excuses around it. Oh, you know, the cat scratched me. And so there's excuses, but then people become a little bit more savvy with, no, that can't keep, that that can't be what's really happening. Mm -hmm. So once it's seen, if you will, then the focus shouldn't be on the actual oh my gosh, you're self-injuring. Again, it's what's behind that mm-hmm. that we want to really focus on. And so I would say if if there's anyone out there that's noticing that with somebody that they care about, again, a friend, a family member, that the conversation is about there's something going on. Let's see if we can find somebody that can help you uncover or learn a little mm-hmm. bit about that or do something different. Right. But you're absolutely right, Bethann, that it, it goes unnoticed sometimes for a long while. Mm-hmm. And then I think, like, my heart feels for those people because there's a lot of suffering. Sure, sure, 100%. And, and I so appreciate you talking about the response because I think more times than not, when we ourselves, so if I put myself in the parent shoe, if mm-hmm. one of my children is self-harming, I have to be really mindful of my own stuff as I'm reacting to what I'm seeing with our children. And I always think it's a a really great reminder that sometimes our response can place our children or the loved one in our life in a place of going deeper underground. Mm -hmm. If we are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe versus hey, what's happening or help me understand or what's going on. And so I think it's just a a really great reminder that whether we're talking about self-harm or anything around an activity or anything that's going on with someone in our lives, we have to be mindful that we can't be in a space where we're not fit to respond to it and then jump in and overreact. I absolutely 100% appreciate you bringing that up, especially from the parent's perspective. So yes, we talked a little bit about what that person might be going through who's self-injuring and we really want to understand 
what's beneath that. I always have to remember a lot of times I come from such a clinical lens that I always see <laughs> we the can't world. can't undo it. I walk around the world observing people. I walk around the world seeing these kinds of situations and it's just become sort of ingrained in who I am. And sometimes I forget that piece of it, which is parents or friends who mm -hmm. are seeing other friends are panicked, appropriately so. Let's right. be very clear. And if there is a reaction of, like you're just doing this for attention, or oh my gosh, what are you doing? It makes so much sense that that level of concern or fear or reaction is there. And here's the thing that I always say, there is always a way to go back and make amends from those situations. So if you find yourself saying, oh my gosh, I'm one of those people, that's okay. You mm -hmm. can go back and say, I realized that I was really scared or whatever the feeling was. My, my sense would be scared. I was really scared and I'm wondering if we can try this again and I can learn a little bit more about what's happening for you. Because the reality is, it's a really scary thing if you don't necessarily come from that clinical lens. And I will say, this is a really important piece for anyone, whether you're seeking mental health for yourself or if you're a parent or guardian seeking mental health find the right clinician mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because a clinician should be coming from a trauma-informed lens, which means I am seeing things not as what's wrong with you, right. but what happened to you mm -hmm. or what's going on with you and learning through curiosity to say more about the circumstance. And so thank you for that because that's a really good reminder that it's a scary thing. And as you're talking, it sort of, triggered for me the piece about when we're talking about mental health services and if this is becoming something where we're finding ourselves panicked as the loved one and the caretaker that it is okay for us to reach out and be able to find someone to help us understand and also seek therapy to be able to figure out how to manage it in the response because all of Absolutely. the things that you just talked about are a completely beautiful response. And, you know, I think you and I share that, that yes, we do sort of come from that clinical lens. And sometimes I say to my husband, I would like to stop being a counselor for like five minutes and just be a mom. But the reality <laughs> is it's a part of us. We're also very cool. So we're not like creepy and analyzing you as right, we're right, walking right. around. But, <laughs> right. but I think that sometimes we talk about that skill building to be able to know how to put new skills into the individual who may be doing self-harm. It's a really great reminder that you just gave us that it's also about skill building for how we're responding mm -hmm. because someone might not be in a place where they can have that conversation without that panic ensuing the entire time. Absolutely. And so let me feed off of two mm -hmm. things that you said. One is a lot of times I do work with the families because again, this isn't just a kid issue. Right. I work with plenty of grown-ups who self-injure and are working through some stuff. If this happens to be a situation where I'm working with a child, I'm also trying to work with the family. If this is an adult and there's a partner, whether it's a husband, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, whatever, a partner involved, I'm also open to working with a partner to help understand responses and why this might be happening. So. It's so important what you said about maybe seeking out therapy for yourself to figure out how do I manage this? Mm -hmm. And then the other part of it, and I, I'd love to leave a little nugget and I need to give credit where credit is due. And so I was pretty blessed early on 
to find an amazing trainer, Lisa Ferens, who our agency still uses to trauma certify our clinicians. And she's in the Baltimore, Baltimore, right? Pikesville? Pikesville, um, Baltimore. Yeah, Maryland area. She has a website. She's an amazing clinician who's taught me a lot. So early on, I did her trauma certification. And one of the things, she's got a couple books out that she teaches is a method called caress. Mm -hmm. And so I'm the world's worst speller, but I think I can manage this one. So the idea is that you are doing three segments of this method. Some people can tolerate it for five minutes, some 15 minutes, some maybe 10. So I'll say, ideally, if you can do this segment in three 10-minute increments. And so the CA for caress stands for communicate alternatively. And so the idea or the premise behind that is, is that my there's something to my behavior, right? So if we take it as a part, there, this part is trying to communicate something. We don't know what. So communicate alternatively can be, I might paint, I might journal, I might write a poem, mm -hmm. I might just draw. So it's somehow communicating alternative. So once somebody notices that impulse to self-injure, they sort of implement this 30 minute with the first part being CA to communicate alternatively. The second part is RE or release endorphins. So the idea is that self-injury actually does biologically release endorphins when you're self-injuring because it hits certain parts of the brain. And so we wanna release endorphins in a different way. So that might be through exercising, that might be through laughing, that might be through hugging. And some people might be like, what? Like just, I'm gonna laugh all of a sudden? And so the idea would be that there, if, if this is something that you're working on, you might cue your favorite movie up to the funny part mm -hmm. and have that ready to play when you're gonna go through this process. The last part is self-soothe. And what I'll say and what I learned early on in my career is I remember this lovely woman that I was working with and I would give her all kinds of coping ideas. And she told me three times before I figured out, Lisa, stop giving her ideas <coughs> because everything I gave her was actually a triggering event and they were my coping skills or my self-soothing mm -hmm. skills. So I might say to somebody, I might use a cup of tea with some soft music at night. Somebody might say that that's not relaxing for me. Maybe it's petting a dog. Maybe it's doing a mandala. Maybe it is talking to a friend, but something that is self-soothing, self soothing for them. And again, you could look up the caress method online if you want more details. Again, Lisa Ferens, who wrote several books about this, that if you want more information, I would really encourage you to reach out and, and look through some of that. Yeah. So this has been a really important topic, and we know that this, again, I think it's really important that we circle back to this while we're referring to teenagers and college students, primarily in our podcast today, we want to make sure that we bring to light that this is not just a teenage issue. It's not just a girl issue. It's both boys, girls, young men, young women, adults. And so it's something for us to be aware of and something where we know, and I love the caress that you just talked through because that is so important for us to be able to leave a nugget with all of you that, and I think one thing I love about caress and 
I I always forget about caress until you bring it up, but <laughs> you could do it for anything. Right? Absolutely. So even if you're not someone who is saying I'm self-injuring, but if you can feel yourself being hijacked, that's like my word of the week, by the way. Uh-huh. If I'm finding myself being hijacked by anxiety or stress, caress is something that you can implement in in your daily life, even alternatively to self-harming. So while it's wonderful for what we're talking about today, that's a little nugget that you can take with you. Well, absolutely. And so let me say this before we wrap up is it could be used prior to wanting to drink if you Mm -hmm. have a substance use problem, prior to disordered eating. So if there's some folks who are struggling with that, it's absolutely a method for any of that. Or like you said, I'm struggling with anxiety or some depressive thoughts. Mm So absolutely, those other methods. It sets you just in that timeout space that we talk about. Yes, absolutely. It just gives you that opportunity to reset. Well, we hope that you have learned some good information today. We hope that we've been able to bring you a little bit of insight into self-harm and self-injury. We know that some of these topics can be difficult to listen to, so maybe this is an opportunity for you to use that caress model and give yourself some space as we come to an end today. We do think it's really important to continue to say that for all of us there may be an opportunity when we hear some of these things to think through what we need and so whether it's reaching out to a friend or reaching out to a therapist please don't forget that those resources continue to be available and we will be with you back in a couple weeks